you're listening to another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. And not just any other edition, but our annual anniversary edition. We started the Savvy Citizen Podcast by interviewing Taylor Drury, who's the Assistant Budget Director. And she's back for episode number three with us to talk about our annual budget episode. We've also got Janet Schaefer and Elizabeth McGee, half of our budget team here at Gaston County, to tell you what's new in our budget and some different things that have nothing to do with the budget at all. So we've got the entire budget team here. Well, not the entire budget team, like two thirds of the budget team because like you're the budget team and then there's the budget and then there's the strategy. Yeah. Team. We've got the budget side of budget and strategy. Yep. Uh, so, but it all relates. So technically. That's yes. true. A budget is a, is a strategy. Exactly. <laughs> so we've, we've gone from two years ago where we had our very first podcast where we, um, we had Taylor in and that was supposed to be just like a trial episode. And then we decided that it was actually like a good episode and we aired it and Taylor will never forgive me for that. Never. Yeah. And we took po- photos, too, that we continue to use. So, like, there's, you know, I, I, I'm i going to continue to be the doghouse for that forever. <laughs> yep. Um, but we only had Janet and Taylor doing the budget uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and then you beefed up your staff a little bit more, and now you've got, like, a full-fledged budget and strategy office. And now yeah. it's, like, you can actually feel like you're putting together a budget and not just, like, building the airplane while you're flying it and trying to keep it from crashing. Right. Yeah. Well, we never had a strategic plan before. Which, this is true. So we have our first strategic plan now, which is huge, but that comes with the burden of burden of making it all relate to the budget and, and making sure performance is matching up with where we spend our money. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I don't know if I'm here hosting or speaking. Um, a little bit of column A, a little, a little bit, bit of column of B. Okay. All right. So um, I'll let Taylor, do you want to jump into like kind of, that how the strategic plan side has played into all of this or how it will eventually yeah I was gonna say I think that'll be the biggest focus of next year's budget especially now that all of our departments have strategic plans um, because they were still in process while we're working on the FY23 budget I will say we did try our best to relate um, the budget to the the countywide strategic plan this year was the first year we've had it obviously so still working through how all of that works, but we did try to tie each department's expansion or new requests to one of the county's strategic focus areas, and then that's how we presented all of the requests to management and how the requests were grouped to present to the board. So when department, whether it's directors or whoever's in charge of kind of submitting the budget to you guys, they literally can't just go, I want more money. Like, I mean, they, they can, but they it's can. not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you have to tie it to all of these kind of benchmarks and to the county's overall strategic plan and kind of really make a good case for why what you're asking for is part of the overall goal of the county, right? Exactly. And that is so helpful for us and for management because we're comparing requests from departments from totally different service areas. So uh, it's important to be able to tie it back to some kind of plan or else you can't really compare the two. And that's tough when you're dealing with limited resources because it's you've got to decide, okay, whose request gets priority? And, I mean, to a certain extent, like, that that goes to Dr. Eagle and that goes to the leadership team. Like, that's that's not necessarily always on you guys to decide. But um, when they're going through that initial requesting process, when they can make a stronger argument for it, it certainly helps, right? Yeah, exactly. And to speak to the funding, like you just said, one example would be 
this year, uh, EMS could request 10 new positions and the DSS could request 15 new positions, but the DSS positions are 50% funded by the state. So then that comes into play with how we evaluate the request. It's not just service demand. We have to look at the funding. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so how has the, the budget process changed? Because I know, Elizabeth, last year was your first kind of go around in, in the budget rodeo. It was. Um, what was what was this like for you, um, kind of seeing this whole process now from beginning to end um, and comparing that to when you were a fellow? Well, it was a huge learning curve, for one, because, um, I don't know, I feel like this is the kind of thing where you can – read about it and study it in books and in class and definitely had a course on this during my master's program, but actually doing it is a totally different ball game. So getting to actually, you know, be in the meetings and go through all the the different seasons of budget because um, little known fact, maybe (laughs) for those of you out there listening, budget planning starts in, uh, November, mm-hmm. and this is for the fiscal year, so right. July 1 of one year to June 30th of the next year, right. and so you start almost like nine or ten months before the fiscal year even begins. It's such a long planning process, and it just kind of goes to show, like, we're just always planning. Right, you're always <laughs> looking the, at what's next. Yeah, we're always planning. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot to learn, a lot to take in, and um, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was interesting to learn about because I feel like you know I'm, pr- I'm, I still consider myself pretty new to working in government. I've mm-hmm. been working at Gaston County for a little bit over a year, like a year and a half now. And I still feel new sure. <laughs> because there's just there's the county does so much. And I'm just like eternally impressed by uh, Taylor and Janet's ability to like keep all of this information in their heads <laughs> and like coordinate this every single year because it really is a lot. Like we said earlier, though, it just all goes out the window. And when, once the budget is adopted, we just try to forget about all this stuff for like at least two months. And yeah. then <laughs> Janet can speak to this, but there's always one point in the budget process where I have a total mental breakdown. And I'm like, it wasn't this bad <laughs> last year. It wasn't this bad last year. She's like, yes, you just blacked it out afterwards. <laughs> it's a coping mechanism. Yes, exactly. Because if you remembered it, you'd be like, why am I doing this again? Yes. Why am I inflicting this uh-huh. much pain on myself? Yep. Some really late nights and really tight turnaround times because when it's go time, it's really go time. (laughs) A lot of gray area too, though, because what a lot of people don't realize is is this is like one big puzzle. So something that comes in after this process or too early or too late or whatever it may be throws off the whole puzzle. Mm -hmm. So a random request that somebody forgot, that can – that creates – a big change in the whole in the whole picture so it's yeah it's really hard to kind of capture all of that and predict those things simultaneously right yeah and make sure that we can keep keep it all together keep the puzzle together but also keep ourselves together yeah, <laughs> yeah there's so much gray so that's why I feel like a lot of our jobs is trying to assign deadlines and some kind of process or else nothing yeah. would get done yeah. also because there's so many constraints about how we like legal constraints about how a budget gets built in North Carolina because, you know, revenues have to equal expenditures yep. for each fund, correct? Mm-hmm. And which means overall, if someone has a last minute request that they, oops, I n- forgot that I need to spend $200,000 for XYZ thing next year, then the next step is 
well, where's the revenue coming from to support that, whether it's a fund balance appropriation or finding a new way to bring in different money or we're finding a grant. There's so many moving parts there. So we, you talk about fund balance appropriation, and we've talked about this some kind of offline, but like, does that equate roughly to like a person's savings account? I mean, is that the best way to describe that? Like if you're an individual, is, is fund balance like our savings account? And then is like, what would be our checking account? Like that we're, that we're paying bills out of on a regular basis? So or is, is that too simple of a comparison and you can just tell me, it's like, well, that's dumb. Why, why are we talking about this? No, I think <laughs> we talk about it in personal finance terms a lot. So your revenue would equal like your income from your job mm-hmm. and then uh, you have your expenses for the year. And so if you have more revenue or income than you have expenses, at the end of the year, that goes into your savings account, which is what we call fund balance. And that's, we've been trying to build up fund balance over the last couple of years, because one of the things that's good about having a healthy fund balance is it helps with our credit rating, right? Exactly. Credit rating, and then um, if we have a recession or something like that, fund balance is really what floats us through when we have decreasing sales tax revenue or fees revenue, things like that. We also have a policy that we have to have so much on hand, too. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess that's the only difference between that and personal finances is I probably should have a policy on how much I should save, but right. gosh, I don't. And uh, <laughs> so it's it's a balance. That's also a balance where you don't want to have too much because then, you know, you're looking at, okay, is our tax rate too high? But you don't want to have too little because you want to be able to float through the bad times and, mm-hmm. and take care of any emergencies, which, as we've seen, anything can happen. Anything is possible. Yep. Um, you know, for the longest time, I was like, well, Maybe we don't need that much fun balance. We don't have a lot of like you know, emergency, like bad weather, you know, mm-hmm. all that. But then, who would have thought? Right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's it's and um, speaking to the revenue side of it, also, um, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but also just the cost of things is crazy. Mm-hmm. So expenditures are just as difficult to protect. Revenues are just as difficult to project as expenditures right now. Yeah. So everything's kind of up in the air. So when Taylor says it's never this bad, like in a way that's true. Like there is a new challenge every year. We don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, I will say this year <laughs> we were balancing um, an election, right? Uh, record inflation, and it's the year before a revaluation. So um, on the politics side, people are wanting to lower the property tax rate to help citizens in times of inflation, plus uh, property sure. values are rising. So kind of balancing all of those things, it was a... <laughs> interesting year yeah. and the and the commissioners did cut the rate so I mean we're down to the lowest rate since what mid 90s yeah I think 96 yeah I mean that's pretty incredible to to have I mean almost 30 years that the the tax rate's been this low yeah it's an exciting time and that just speaks to all the growth that's happening in the county that we're able to do that and we can handle it with um, our sales tax revenue especially has seen record growth over the past couple of years even in covid uh, we're getting a lot of more money from the federal and state government, so that all came into play, and then that allows us to, uh, in turn, help citizens and lower the tax rate. So when you're talking about sales tax stuff, I know with property taxes, like you guys work with the, the tax office pretty closely on kind of what they're bringing in and what the projections are and stuff like that. How do you kind of figure out what you're going to set as your best guess for what we're going to bring in from sales taxes? So you can do it in a lot of different ways. We kind of do a combination here of uh, sales tax forecasting, but 
I always start with looking at what we've actually brought in over the past couple of years. Uh, we tend to take a conservative pr approach, at least when just looking at our actuals and projecting out for the next year. And then we also rely on projections from either like state offices or our peers. P we have a listserv uh, if you work in budget. So people are constantly sending out things throughout the budget process like, oh, what are you estimating? 5%, mm -hmm. 10%. So we take all of those things into consideration when we make our forecast. I, I hesitate to bring it up because it's like, it's the R word, but is there, is there a concern about a recession? Is that something that you have to, do you, how much attention do you pay to some of the national stories and some of the local trends on uh, when you're, when you're forecasting and trying to look, you know, six, 12 months down the line and go, are, are we, are we going to have enough money if this happens? So I'll speak to that. I'm like kind of, I've been talking about a recession for like a year now. I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen late 2022. Mm -hmm. I know saying that's dangerous and no economist that you ever talk to will ever give you definites about any of that. Right, so, right. so it's really dumb for me to say that <laughs> on the radio, but, or on a podcast. But anyway, so I've been really scared of that. And particularly because I graduated from college in a recession mm. and that was one of the scariest times ever. And I know that looking back on the history, well, actually I came to work for Gaston County about six months after I graduated. So I know what it was like to be a county employee and work for the county at that time, but just being a new graduate with all this student loan debt and all, all that. So I'm always terrified of a recession. Sure. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's the same kind that it, it's not going to be the same kind that it was when, you know, 2008, 2010, right. whenever that was. Um, so I'm trying to be less concerned about that because it's just different. Things are just so different now than they ever were before. We are a good team, though, because during this budget process, I was like, growth, 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 let's project a uh, higher percent than we have in the past. And then Janet was on my shoulder saying, like, recession, recession. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we came somewhere So we literally the have the devil and the angel here. Yes. <laughs> the gas and the brakes. Yes. Ah, I like that. I like that. So what are some things, and I think we've talked about this in previous budget episodes, but what are some, maybe some common misnomers that you think that the general public has about the budget process? And I think particularly that that could be coming to the, the forefront because we're getting ready to do the reappraisal. And so I think a lot of people are paying more attention to local government, to our budget, to what we're doing and going, well, is that all really necessary? Isn't, isn't there just a bunch of like, fluff that you can cut from the budget <laughs> yeah i would say that the biggest misconception um going back to what someone said earlier is that we really are under a lot of restrictions with what certain revenues can pay for so i think maybe the average citizen thinks oh my property taxes fund this and this and this when in reality um, everything's really separated and all the revenues are dedicated to a very specific purpose for the most part right well you guys and you break it down in some of the charts and like there's what, like close to 80 some odd percent of our budget that's broken down between what, public safety, education, and human, human services. services. Yep. So a lot of that stuff is, there isn't a lot of wiggle room in terms of what you can cut there. I mean, I guess if you want to just cut the heck out of policing, but most people don't want to do that. Yeah, and definitely not this year. Um, this was kind of the year of public safety, I think. It was our largest expense uh, percentage-wise. 28% went to public safety, and the most of our huge capital projects that were approved are all related to public safety. So they actually saw probably the biggest increases this year and our overall budget increased by 9%, which is right on par with inflation at the time that we adopted it. 
And that's, I mean, that's one of the main responsibilities of local government when you, when you get down to kind of like the, the heart of what we're supposed to do is, you know, obviously we as a county don't do education, but like we're kind of like the pass through for the funding to Gaston College and to the school system. Um, but then in terms of what we actually do, like public safety is, is a huge part of that. Speaking of education, North Carolina is kind of a special, I mean, education funding all over the United States, there, there's a lot of different ways that it happens, but that's another really complicated one that mm-hmm. I don't think I really understood it until digging deep into it um, over the past year or so. But so in Help me get this right, Janet and Taylor. But so counties have to um, have to fund schools' capital infrastructure. Right. So that's that's uh, that's a law for North Carolina counties that you have to pay for the schools' capital infrastructure. Yeah. Um, but but counties don't have to pay for schools' operating. Um, but kind of the double-edged sword or catch-22 for North Carolina school districts is that often schools aren't really making enough money on their own through state and federal grants to fully operate, you know, a functioning school system, which is why you see so many counties um, also funding schools operating Mm. funds. So it's either, you know, the county's got to fill in the gap of what um, the school isn't able to bring in for revenue on their own, or I don't know, there's not really another option. (laughs) Yeah, and there's no real standard or um, like formula for funding that operating either. So, you know, you can, you could go look at somewhere like Wake County. I think they fund, um, they fund probably twice what we do per student. Mm. Um, It's just, it's, it varies. It's all over the place. And, and counties are, mostly responsible for deciding that and keeping up with the region and, you know, to keep the teacher pay competitive and whatnot. Um, but it is difficult because, yeah, um, there's no there's no standard for it statewide. So you kind of just have to, like, wait, you know, and, and it's difficult, too, because a lot of times we get in a situation where we're paying for salary supplements for teachers, but, like, county employees not getting raises. or so, uh, that. I don't know if that situation's ever occurred, but it's just – Right. Yeah. Like everything with the budget, it's just balancing um, priorities, needs of a million different things. Um, but yeah, and then there's, it's, cities now are able to fund. That's really new. That's as of like 2018, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anybody's um, volunteered to do that yet. So <laughs> or it's still, it's still all county. There might be some places there's where. There's a few. There's one in Asheville and. I'm trying to think. There's a f- there's a handful of them around the state, but they're still pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So cities are actually chipping in a small part of their budget yeah. to help with the public school system. There's like an option for a city tax to go to oh, fund schools. I think, yeah, huh. yeah, pretty new. And th- another thing that's kind of interesting about education funding in North Carolina is: Have y'all heard of the Leandro lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this has been going on since like the early '90s. Yeah. It's a very long court case. It's been just being relitigated. Anyways, the whole point of it is it was a group of um, counties with historically low wealth. So, like, the value of the properties in these counties is so low that no matter how high those counties were to raise their tax rates, they still wouldn't make enough money to, like, adequately fund their government, Mm -hmm. um, which is a problem for a lot of 
you know, the handful of counties in North Carolina. So these counties sued the state of North Carolina on the grounds that the state was not fulfilling their con- state constitutional responsibility to adequately fund schools. Um, and recently there is finally like a decision that seems pretty final that yes, it is the state's constitutional responsibility to fund schools in North Carolina, not counties. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's, the logistics of that are still being worked out, and in practice, the schools are, you know, still underfunded, and we still have to close that gap until we come up with a better solution. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting when you think about even counties' like ability to pay mm-hmm. for essential services on top of education, and that kind of relates to Gaston County's situation as well. So we have we're tenth in population. Yet we're in like the 60th for um, taxable property value. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's no, there's not really a fair amount that we can raise our the value or the um, tax rate on our current residents to make up the difference to make us more like a Wake County that's spending twice as much. So, yeah, there's not, I don't even know if, yeah, like you said, I don't know if it's a, like a lawful amount that we would have to raise it to to get to that point where we're paying, you know, Wake County teacher salaries. I don't even know that they're the best. I'm just using the, this them as an example, but it's either Wake or Orange. It's yeah, one of those maybe counties. it's Orange. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, to what you're saying, like there's, you're not comparing apples to oranges when you're looking at, at some of our other counties that have a similar population base because it has to do a lot with um, what that taxable property amount is, and that uh, that's kind of a weird thing to think about. But basically, like looking at the inventory of like all the the homes and the businesses and different things across the county and what what the overall worth of all those things are in addition to that we also aren't big like this county the side the actual square mileage of this county is um like a, like a sixth of a percent of of the total size of north carolina so we also have less room to grow, which just seems. I mean, we have a lot of rural areas, so right. um, our our actual size is not very large. Um, we don't have a lot of taxable property. We don't have a lot of high value properties, but we also have a big population. So a there's a high needs population that yeah puts a lot of demand on our services. Yeah, yeah. the population that we have is disproportionately high needs. So there's a lot of services that our residents need. Um, with very little or with, with without a lot of revenue to make up for it. So when you're talking about those services, you're, you're talking like social services, public health, libraries, that sort of stuff? All of it, down to parks. I mean, you know, people need parks too, and, and yeah. we, pro- we'll, we do provide parks. But um, just it, it could be anything, you know, solid waste, um, landfill, mm-hmm. police, fire, all of it. Yeah. And those services, you know, it's the cost of running those things is pretty consistent across the state. It's uh, running a school district in Gaston County is not that different from running a school district in Mecklenburg. Um, but, but yeah, we're working with a different set of resources when it comes to funding those things. So what are some of the things that you guys do over the next couple of months to pr- start prep work for the next fiscal year. I know that you just come through, you're, you're kind of taking a breather because it's all right, we've got the budget passed, we're getting ready to step into fiscal new year, but um, I mean, your work is never done, obviously. 
No, we don't work for three months. <laughs> and then we'll start again. Uh, right now we're preparing for end of the current fiscal year. So doing all the year end close stuff, which is more like finance functions. Sure. So we're working through all of that. And then Elizabeth's working on the budget book that we present that summarizes the adopted budget for the public and the board. So we'll be able to put that out hopefully in the next month or two. We're also going, we have this, we have this like two year timeline on the whiteboard in our office that mm. just says it, how everything needs to fall perfectly into pl- place. It's like a beautiful Tetris masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Sharpie or not Sharpie, but we might Predators. as well go over it in Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're it's it been in. For a while. Um, so we're doing a lot of strategic planning stuff to, um, we're trying to make that all fit. Um, we also do it just a lot of a lot of re- random things that have nothing to do with budget. We talk about this all the time, yep. but and sometimes I can't even like think of all the things. Um, I'm in meetings all day, and like mm-hmm. again, when I get out of the meetings all day, I'm like, what, what did I just do? So um, Elizabeth is all, uh, working on homelessness prevention committee stuff, which of course is a huge need in our community as well. Um, we're working on identifying uh, ways to use opioid funding, which has its own um, or stipulations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet runs data team. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that one. Data team, which is going to be great. Um, we're doing a cohort to to help Gaston County employees uh, develop their um, data literacy. And that'll be good for, like, reporting performance and budgets, too, to make kind of everything we do more pu- public-facing so that the public can look in at what we're doing. Um, we have ARPA funding. That's yeah. kind of just always running in the background because we have so long to spend it. But the county's mm-hmm. still evaluating projects and deciding what to fund. Yeah. Yep. And Alex is on our policy review committee. There's like a interdepartmental committee that takes a look at, do we need policies for X, Y, Z? Are these policies that exist functioning? Right. <laughs> We're also diving into plain language stuff with... You, um, yeah, that's my uh, fault. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think uh-huh. Play Language is a really awesome initiative, and I'm glad that we're going to start doing it here. I think so, too. I wonder how much of what we've said on this podcast, though, has been not Play Language. That's mm. that's the hard thing, is like uh, trying to, t- to step out of our individual roles into what is what does the average citizen know about government? What do they care about? And like, what do they understand when we're talking? Yeah. Um, so like, if you're listening to this and you're going, I'm not sure what they're talking about. Um, email Janet Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> I really would love to know because we try so hard to make this stuff pu- like ready for the public, public yeah. facing, even just interesting, you know, because I mean, it's a budget. It's, right. It's yeah. a little boring. Um, but we try to make it as interesting as we can because we really do want the public to look at this stuff. Um, so, yeah, hopefully by FY24 podcast, which will be your fourth, Taylor, your fourth episode on. Yes, the budget. We're, we're booking Six you now. Budget. Yes, yeah. okay. Sixth budget, fourth budget episode, podcast episode. Um, maybe we'll, maybe it'll be different. Maybe we'll be able to like address some of the ways that we talk about it, even you know, conversationally and casually, to make it make more sense. Yeah. That would be great if we had a way. I knew feedback. nothing about budget or really local government before I started this job, so I'm always trying to think, what did I think a county mm-hmm. did, and how did they pay for it? Like when I was even just starting grad school, and I. Now I've been so brainwashed from being here for like five <laughs> years. I can't remember. One of us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I worked as a as a newspaper reporter, that was one of the big things is try to take whatever you're doing, whether it's cop talk or like governmentees, and try to translate it mm-hmm. and not just go, 
well, this is what they said and just regurgitate it verbatim, but like try to make it make sense for people. And it's like, if we can do that as a government to start with so that there doesn't have to be that kind of interpretation, then hopefully more people will understand what we're doing, why we're doing it and see the value in it. Yeah, totally. And that's something we need to get better about doing externally, like putting what we do into terms that are friendly for the public. Cause we do a lot of that internally. Like we're constantly taking what departments are asking and what they're doing and putting it in a format that's easy for management to understand or the mm -hmm. board to understand. And so now we just need to take that a step further. And I think we have, uh, we've focused on that a lot in the past couple of years, um, but just continue those efforts. There's a quote, and I think it's from Reagan, um, where he said, like, you know, the most terrifying words in the English language is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> and, um, it, and I get it. It's funny. And, you know, I think sometimes with government, like, the bureaucracy of big government, especially at the federal level, like it just gets in its own way. But I think that we do truly have a lot of people that care about the community here and wanting to make it a better place. And so it's like part of the, the idea behind plain language and data team and a lot of the work that you guys do on a daily basis is trying to make it easier to understand, easier to access, more friendly, more um, even just the graphics and stuff that you guys produce. Like so it's not like, oh, I've got to, you know, get a PhD to understand what my local government is doing. Like no. anybody should be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. It's our job to interpret federal federal regulations mm. and right. and uh, try to understand all of the rules to spending ARPA money, for example. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and yeah. we can distill that and and hopefully just. <laughs> yeah, Beth in finance was saying that she read the whole final rule, whatever three hundred some odd pages. Oh, and I'm it's like, more than three hundred pages. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> And every single page has references to like uniform guidance to the like a million other federal regulations that if you don't already know what all of these references yeah. are, then you've got a lot more homework to do. It's all, complicated. Also that you can make sure that you're following all the rules properly to, to spend the money. Yeah. Cause if you don't do it properly, you gotta give it back. That's true. Yeah. That sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You, yeah, you I don't, don't want to be on the opposite end of Uncle Sam coming and uh, saying that he wants you. Yeah, no, that yeah, I don't. I don't think a lot of people understand how much work goes into making something simple. I mean, so how do you with the reval process? Like, you, you talked about what that was like the first year you did it. What was maybe talk a little bit about that experience for you doing a um, a budget during a reval year. So during revaluation years, I feel like the biggest uh, pressure on the budget office is probably coming from politicians and then obviously property owners. Sure. So they're getting all the notices of their property values increasing. And so then we're taxed with where are all these increases going? Mm -hmm. um, where is that money going? What is it going to fund? And then we also have to publish a revenue neutral tax rate. So that goes, um, that's published for the public for all property tax owners in the county basically saying, here's what your tax rate would be if we are going to bring in the exact same amount of revenue that we did in the previous year. Yeah, which is hard because uh, inflation, you know. Right. Things don't ever stay the same. So no. But it's just it's just there for to help give a frame of reference for the taxpayer, not necessarily to... Because um, a revenue neutral budget would actually mean a decrease. Right. Because, yeah, like, if you're bringing in the same amount of money next year that you're bringing in this year, like, unless the economy went crazy and, like, I mean, you're talking major recession, like, there's there's no way that, like, you're not going to have things yeah. cost more 
it would mean no um, no merit compensation. Right. Um, it would mean, yeah, nothing, no new services, no expanded services. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have to decrease services to deal with inflation. So we would have to decrease. It would look like maybe even the time it takes for inspections to come. Well, I think that's a legal requirement of like two days or something like that. But it would look like the time it takes for a police officer to respond even because you, we would have to focus on having less staff to make up for other costs. or you know. So there's definitely impacts that can't really be predict- predicted. Right. So it's our job to kind of uh, put that all together and present that to the board. So what it what the rate looks like and then what that would mean for our services. And then they in turn communicate that to the public. And that's, I mean, that whole process, I mean, again, you guys put together kind of the budget based on kind of direction from the manager and based on everything that you get back from the departments. And then from there, it's a lot of kind of back and forth between the manager and the board for them kind of working through what the board's priorities are and where they want to land with the tax rate and, and, you know, what they want to provide to the residents. Yes, but <laughs> I am very confident that the upcoming budget um, does the most with the right amount of money. Um, I'm very confident in the decisions that were made, and yeah. I do think that this will be a, this will be a good budget year. Um, you know, considering everything, considering inflation and lots of uncertainty, um, I think it'll be a good year. I'm excited. Because those for those of you who don't already know, the big news are credit rating was upgraded yes that's right so that offers some savings too yeah long term yeah so we will be issuing debt for schools this year yeah yeah so what does that look like for a citizen like does that mean does something with what they're paying change because we go out for bonds or like we already had those bonds approved by voters a few years ago right yeah, so that was the only action, direct action that citizens take in terms of the bonds they voted to approve them. So now we're just releasing those dollars in increments. So if it doesn't affect really what they're paying, we'll, I don't know how to say that. Yeah, it's, I guess they get a better product for, for their money. Like but like just because we go out for bonds in the fall doesn't mean like, oh, you're going you're gonna to see a tax rate increase because of that. Like that's right. already built into our planning like we have like old debt falling Fall off out. and we have like the ability to issue new debt. Exactly. Okay. So it doesn't increase really our tax burden on residents when we go out for bonds. Cause like you said, old debt is falling off and we've been planning for it years ahead. So we have ways to finance it without like increasing the tax rate Got it. and just natural growth in like sales tax and property tax revenue without raising any rates helps pay for that. Another big thing for this budget year is that it's the first year that we're implementing our five-year capital improvement plan, yep. which is exactly that. It's the long-range planning for future capital and debt issuances so that we can plan to update our infrastructure over the long term. Because in the past, basically, we just work pretty much one year at a time. And I, mean, I know that Y'all had some like more informal, long-range plans, but the capital improvement plan is a set in stone, mm-hmm. board-approved, yep. long-term planning mechanism. And the public can go and look at that and go, oh, this is what they're planning to do over the next couple years. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense when you can see that zoomed-out bigger picture mm-hmm. instead of just taking it one year at a time. 
So like some of the stuff that Taylor described earlier about the capital projects, like the stuff that's like, quote unquote, not sexy, but needs to get done. Like some of the yeah. repair work on, you know, replacement of carpet or replacement of roofs and, you know, so things aren't falling in around our ears. Exactly. And when you're looking to cut the budget, often that's one of the first things to get cut because, yeah, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> no one wants to hear, okay, we're replacing a roof or we're replacing carpet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it often gets pushed, but when you have it sitting there on a plan saying, and you're committing, no, we need to do this in this year, um, it helps it actually get done and not just be the first thing to cut because people don't like the sound of it. Right. And that's also the kind of thing where it's better to do it a little bit each year than push it off and push it off and then get to a situation where, oh, no, we've got this gigantic problem because <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it can end up being a safety issue. It can end up being fire hazards, all these different things. So this kind of stuff really does need to be planned out. It's kind of like repairs in your car. Like if yeah. you keep up with the maintenance, like you, you know, yeah. you're going to run your car for longer or you might run it into the ground at 30,000 miles because you never change the oil. Yeah. yeah. And also consider like, <laughs> consider like population growth too. Yeah. It's like, I think we've had like 9% population growth over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that's more people accessing government properties and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a physical yeah. <laughs> demand. Yeah. <laughs> Too. When I think I think I was talking to, to Chelsea, our, our interim tax director, about this, and I think there's sometimes a misnomer that, like, oh, there's more people moving in. Like, growth doesn't just pay for itself. Like, right. people need services, you know, whether it's stuff that the state pays for, that the municipalities pay for, or that we pay for. Um, you know, th they're all different things that, that residents rely on on some level or another. Yep. We're glad to have more people always, but it definitely yeah. comes with with some costs yeah the growth means growth and revenue but also growth and expenses because yep. our service demands going up so that's we're going to keep facing that as our population grows so just to wrap this up i want to know what your fiscal new year resolutions are everyone. what do you personal hope? or professional <laughs> doesn't matter what do you hope to achieve in the fiscal year from july 1 2022 to june 30th yeah 23. Sorry, working in fiscal years, I don't know what year it is. <laughs> you go first. Okay, let me think about this. <laughs> My fiscal New Year's resolution is to... I have one. Yes. Do you want me to go? Go first, yeah. Okay. I have no control over this, really, but my resolution would be that we could somehow align departmental performance measures and operating indicators with the budget um, better than it has been in the past hmm. and with their strategic plans. So we kind of took the first step in this current year by having departments create strategic plans in the first place, but now they're working on fleshing out all their metrics, right. and then they're going to start reporting those. So I can't wait to be able to align uh, those reported metrics with their budget requests and things at, in the next year or two. Yeah, that's a good one. My, okay, I've got mine. My fiscal New Year's resolution is to have a public-facing financial dashboard updated monthly um, that's super easy to use for the public, super interactive, and you can click around. So we've had one in the past, but it wasn't updated monthly, and we just went through a chart of accounts change, and so we were waiting on that to kind of happen before we built the new one. So that is my fiscal New Year's resolution. Nice. We're going to get that dashboard out there on the new website. Yeah, new website's launching on and July 12th. Yeah. July 12th is going to be very uh, user-friendly, public-friendly. So, yeah, I'm committing to that for, for FY23. Taylor's talked about some projects that aren't sexy, and the new website is sexy. <laughs> it, it really <laughs> is. It really is. And, honestly, dashboards are always sexy, too. That's so. true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, 
I think my fiscal New Year's resolution is, uh, well, I'm going to start taking, so the UNC Chapel Hill School of Government uh, it has a has like a certification, professional certification for budget officers in North Carolina. And everyone everyone in the budget office has it, I think, but me. So I'm working towards that. I'm going to start taking classes in the fall. Oh, my gosh. You just finished your master's. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I got to I gotta know how to do um, – what's a, what's a class that you learn? Um, performance management. Yeah. Capital budgeting. I got to learn how to do capital budgeting. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, the way you're doing it is way more helpful because – kind of thrown into it and you've seen it and now you can go to the class and you actually kind of know what they're talking about i did it the other way around and sat in class like what what is going on <laughs> what are they talking about and i forgot it all as soon as i took the test yeah, yeah. there's just a lot of tests yeah well, bravo for for being willing to jump right back into classes after finishing your master's well, thanks <laughs> what about you adam what's your fiscal new year's resolution oh it's it's one that's been a resolution since last year, and this year it's actually going to happen. We're going to get Gaston and Solved episodes done. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Oh my gosh! It's it's it is a project that I'm really really passionate about, and I think we were a little ambitious. I was a little ambitious last year, thinking COVID's going to be tamping down. Yeah, took a little bit longer than than I thought for COVID to tamp down, and just some other stuff, but you know, comes with managing a communications office. Um, but we're, um, we've got a fellow named Josh who's uh, editing this podcast and we'll probably try to cut this out because he tries to cut out any reference to himself. Um, but he's he's going to be doing more work with us in the new fiscal year in terms of doing more video video editing. And, uh, he's going to leave that in there just because you... Uh, yeah, just because <laughs> I flubbed it. He's like, ah, you mentioned my name, so now this stays in. Um yeah, so being able to have a, a, a bigger and stronger team, um, I, we're doing a lot of projects for different departments too, like we're working with social services on a foster care project, um, then working with the police department on a number of different things. We did a video with them on um, tips on keeping your, your stuff safe. And so it just we're constantly working with different departments trying to get words out about programs, services, events, um, but we do want to make sure that we're doing some of the projects that – we had started as initiatives as well. And it's it's a partnership program, too, because we, we've worked with um, Gaston County PD, Gastonia PD, Mountain Holly PD. Um, so this is this is something that, that hopefully can be beneficial um, for the community. Awesome. That's I just, exciting. I just talked that to death, too. <laughs> I'm excited about it. We need, a, we need an old Lang sign for a budget. Oh, my gosh, yeah. we can yeah. sing and cheers together. <sighs> You you need like a a sarcastic fiscal year one though. If old budgets we forgot, <laughs> please forget the old budget. I, I feel like I already sing I for all accountants be forgot. Like I feel like I already missed. Accountants. There you go. <laughs> I already like miss miss that heard those lyrics. That is yeah. Does anybody actually know the words to old bank sign? It's like old. English or something. Yeah, because like people just know that and something about acquaintances, and then yeah. it's just drunken rambling for the rest of it. So. Yes. Yeah. So it's like a pitbull song. <laughs> for. <laughs> for all fiscal year 
If old accountants be for God <laughs> and never brought to mind. <laughs> and never budget. FY23, <laughs> my dear. Can you open with that as the like, intro music, right. please? We're never going back unless the auditors make us go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for listening to another edition of the Savvy Citizen podcast, one that was clearly more organized than the rest of the ones that we do on a regular basis. Uh, thanks again for listening. and uh, Happy Fiscal New Year. Happy Fiscal New Year. Tune, again, tune in again next week. If old accountants be for God... <laughs> And never brought you Does anybody actually know the words to old things? Um. <laughs>